This is the More Than Work podcast, where we talk all about how to gain more satisfaction in your job. It's possible to enjoy your life and your work, because business is personal. Hey, More Than Workers, have you ever wondered where the knowledge in your organization truly lies? There have been some recent studies that show that the most knowledge lies, ready, drum roll, drum roll, please. Nobody gave me the drum roll. I've got everybody on our team is just staring at me. Lies at the front lines of the organization. Oh my gosh, with the frontline employees. So what is that? What are we talking about there? So I can think of when I was an engineer, I was often given the job of, I've got this new process and I have to lay out this new process in manufacturing. And I would lay it out on the drawings and everything. And then I would do something that I thought was pretty smart, but actually it was me covering for me, not knowing what I was doing is I would bring in operators who were going to run the equipment and bring in maintenance people who were going to have to maintain the equipment. And almost every time they would look at the drawing and they would say, Don, why is that pump motor facing the wall? Because if you leave it that way, when we take the motor off, we're going to have to take the whole pump apart and disconnect it. If you just turn it 90 degrees, we can just slide it right off. Or the operator says, hey, that valve that we're going to have to actuate every day, you know, 10 times a day is nine feet up in the air and I can't quite reach it. Like, could you lower that to where I could reach it and, and, or automate it to make it a lot easier? There are lots of things that frontline employees know that management does not know. And that's what our topic's going to be today is, first of all, if you are a frontline employee and you know things that your bosses don't know and they should know those, how can you bring those to your attention of your managers? Also, if you are a manager, this concept of, yes, you used to know a lot of the things, especially if you were a frontline employee, but you've probably moved on from things and maybe you don't. Maybe your expertise is limited and maybe you do need to listen more to your frontline employees. And then also for the upper management folks, how can you, when you're planning and thinking about the future of your company, how can you make sure that you're leveraging the knowledge from your frontline employees? So today we have our whole team with us. Uh, with varying degrees of coughs, because it's that time of year, we all we, there are several of us who are going to have to sound a little froggy. Let's start with the with our first frog. There, Diana. Diana, how are you doing today? You feeling better? You okay? I mean, I'm okay. I'm going to survive this podcast, but I do sound a little snotty and froggy. Okay, well that's yeah. okay because we have yeah. you here, and we, we were just glad that you're here. Oh, thanks. Right. Yeah, and then we also have our second frog. We have Mary. Mary, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It just, if it attacks, I'll have to go on pause and come back. It's just a cough up a lung and then we'll come back to us. We're really fine. We're all, we're all okay over here. And then we have Bethany. Bethany, are you, are you froggy today? How are you feeling? I'm not froggy, my, but my eyes feel like they're going to pop out of the sockets <clears throat> just from a mild, mild headache. You know, an headache. I hate to hear how you define a major headache if your eyes are going <laughs> to pop out. That's that sounds awful. And it'd be like too dramatic. The eye popping out felt a little dramatic. So I was trying to tame it down. It'll probably feel better after they pop out though, because it'll relieve some pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so there's that. And so we're kind of walking wounded here today. And then Matt, Matt, how are you feeling? You're 100 percent You look great. Good lord. What's going on with the team right now? Because I feel great. You know, it's like 80 degrees outside, the sun is shining. Like it feels it. (laughs) This is I feel good. Like, I don't know what's going on with the, the the brokenness that we're experiencing right now, but I feel good. And maybe this is why I'm also happy I'm working remotely, not yeah. where you all are. So whatever <laughs> it is you guys are doing is wrong. Uh, I feel good. Yeah. 
Well, I feel good too, Matt. So maybe it's you and I, maybe it's the, the old fashions I had over the weekend. Yeah. The disco party we attended last weekend at the event that we were at, maybe that did it. Maybe we just got out and had some fun. Yeah. We all play different roles at people centric. Matt and I attend disco parties and drink old fashions. Um, say, you know what? You're right. I didn't go to a disco party last week, so that's probably the problem. I see why you're having a hard time now. I see why you're struggling. For those of you who are listening or trying to figure out what the heck we are talking about, we're actually talking about the Missouri MGMA conference that we were at last week. We got to speak. Matt and I did a whole workshop, and then Matt did a breakout session out there, which is something we do quite a bit. It was wildly well-received, is what I've heard. And then they had a disco party after uh, after dinner the last night. Uh, yeah, we get to uh, take the show on the road. We'll be in Portland next week. Uh, and Diana's stomping grounds there, so can't wait to do do it all over again. People-centric on the road, so come see us. Come check us out out there. So let's kick off this topic. Let's start with the frontline folks, because I think the frontline people who are listening to this right now are probably going like, duh. I know a lot of things that my bosses don't know. Like they really need to spend more time learning from me or more time listening to me. What do you think that frontline employees, what's what's our advice to a frontline employee who feels, boy, I know some things that my boss should know. Like how do I tell my boss when they're about to make a mistake? I would say calm down. First of all, it seems like I just had this conversation with somebody the other day, you know, talking about all the things their boss did horribly, all the things that the company could learn from them if they would just take a step back, if they would follow my lead. And maybe one of the truth bombs, and I I assume we still don't have a sound effect for this, but one of the shattering dreams part right off the bat, uh, maybe is to understand your approach may or may not have gotten you the meeting that you feel like you probably need to have to be able to bring these, all of these injustices and all the, all the wrongdoings. I mean, think about how you would like people to approach you telling you that you are not doing something correctly. Uh, Approach matters. So it's not just that you think you have it figured out, like, understand how you're coming across maybe when you're trying to do your best to point those things out. So you're saying like going to your boss's office and storming in there and saying, listen, I am tired of you not knowing what you're doing. If you would just spend five more minutes out on the floor with me, you would understand what we do. You have no clue what we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis and then make your suggestion. You're saying that may not be well-received. Probably won't be well-received. In fact, you probably wouldn't get that far into the sentence. (laughs) Probably wouldn't have made it that far before it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? What? Because uh, you're probably catching them off guard as well. Everybody goes to work thinking they're doing a good job or trying to do a good job. I think, and I'll, I'll back off of everybody. Most people think that they're doing a good job or have a desire to do a good job. And so the approach, if you bring that to them, might be something to consider. Love that. Diana? I was going to say, probably remember that your manager's job is not to know your job. It's your job to know your job right? They don't need to know everything that you do. But if something that you're doing is being affected by something that they're doing, you should say that like, hey, did you know that this is how this works? And in reality, the theory of the practice isn't being applied right or what? I don't know how you would want to say that better. Don't say it like that. But Uh, hey, Diana, I would say you do want your manager to know your job, but not necessarily know how to do your job, right? Should they know the things of your job? Like this is what supposed to be doing. I don't know how to do it, but exactly. this is what supposed to be doing, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's not their job to know all the parts, all the tiny details of your job. They need to know overarching what you're doing because they're overseeing and they're guiding your success, but still they don't, they're not supposed to know what you do minutely. 
Just that concept, I think, just blew some people's minds. I bet they're listening to the podcast saying, I'll bet there's some managers out there. They're like, what do you mean? Are you saying my job is not to know the jobs of all the people underneath me? Because I have heard managers literally say that my job is to, I have to know all of the jobs of all the people around me. So like, let's nuance that a little bit. Like, what is the job of a manager then if it's not to know how to do all the other jobs underneath them? So again, I, I think it's important that the managers under, you have a working knowledge of what your people are doing. Ultimately, you're grading their success. How crappy would it be to walk into a performance review and the person knows nothing about what you do or why you do what you do? So I do think that it's definitely important to, to know what your people are doing or what they're responsible for, but not to be in the weeds of how they accomplish all of those different things. I think you can give feedback, especially if you're approached as a manager. Uh, the other part, just, I don't even know if you're going there or not, but it, it struck me because sometimes, especially if that manager started at the employee level on the team and they promoted all the way up to within, they, they have a certain affection or an affinity for that frontline job. And the manager doesn't then take it to the manager role there. You know, it's kind of the opposite of what Diana talked about, but they're, they're extreme too, too far hands on now and not being able to effectively manage the people too, which is also equally bad. So stay away from both of those extremes managers and you're fine. You're fine. So know a little bit, but not too much uh, about what they're doing. Uh, Mary. I do think it's really important to get out there with them. So even though you're a manager or an executive or whatever type of leadership role you are, Make sure that you're you're out there with them. Have some conversations. Learn what they're doing. You don't have to be hands-on, but just asking them about their job allows you to learn more about what's going on as well. So then when you are approached, you can be like, I remember seeing something like that. Or yeah, take me back out there and show me where that was at so I can be re refreshed or reminded or something like that. It's powerful to, to, you know, we would say get your boots on the ground. I love that point because you're spending time out on the floor, like you said, so that people know that you are present and that you care about what they're doing and that you are also showing that you are available for feedback as a manager then. Uh, it's not that you're out on the floor trying to micromanage and learn all of the individual things that all the employees do. Again, as Matt said earlier, like if you're the, if you're the manager who's like, I have to understand every little thing that all of my employees do, I think that's a mistake. That's a mistake. You're pushing too hard that direction. You do need to be able to trust people to do what they do. But it's just how can if you're out there as a manager, just showing that you're walking around and showing that you're caring and asking questions and how can we do things better, then you're you're opening that up. But I want to shift back to the employee side. So we've talked about like the employee going to the manager, seeing an idea. I think about like, what's the best way we've talked about how not to bring it up. Like, don't bring it up as, okay, accusatory. If you don't know my job and I'm going to do this better, what's the right way to bring it up? How do we, how do we bring this to a manager when we know something that we could, could be better? What's the right way to do it? Sometimes I think it's okay to, to just say like from, you know, to, to bring, bring an issue to the table to say, hey, we've been following this, you know, we've been following this process for a while. We've tried it this way. It feels like, it feels like we're still struggling through it for whatever reason. And I think the best thing that you can do as an employee is to bring new ideas to the table too. So not saying that like, hey, we're doing it all wrong. We need to just do whatever I say. But I think it's, you know, I think we always talk about, you always hear the advice of like, 
like, don't bring me more problems, like bring an answer to the problem. And I think that that's really true. I think that if you are able to say, I've thought through this, I've, this is what I've observed in how we've been doing it. This is where I feel like we're, you know, we have some hiccups where we're struggling a little bit. I think if we try it this way, it would make a big difference. Could we try this? Could we make this change for a while and just see how it works? And I think if you're giving, if you're kind of setting it up that way to just say, let's, can, is it okay if we try something different and see how it works? Then it's not like a hard and fast change. It's like, let's just try this. And, um, and then there's room for adjustment if we need to. I like that model of asking for permission to move forward. I think that is great. You know, any kind of a relationship between people, you should always look for permission from the other person to keep advancing the relationship. That's true in sales. That's true in, in management. Yeah. Diana? I had an employee who used to come to me. I, I was instrumental in writing a lot of our policy and procedure back in the day, right? I, I, I did all of that. So all of this was very important to me in the how that we did things. And she used to come to me and she'd be like, okay, tell me why you set it up this way. And that was such a great question for me because I was like, oh, well, now I get to share my knowledge and expertise as to what I saw happening and why I decided to create this thing the way that I created it. And she was great because she would be like, okay, I see what you're doing. I think it would be better if we did it this way because of this, this, and this. And so it was like a really open dialogue. And she didn't, she didn't ever make me feel bad about the way that I used to do it. And she wasn't saying that that way was wrong. She just said, Hey, we've evolved and here's the new things that we're seeing. And I thought that that was such a good nuance to that approach. Cause it wasn't just, Hey, here's a problem. Here's a solution. It was why did you do it the way that you did it back in the day? Yeah, it's a fine line. So it involves asking questions of the other person. So you're bringing it. She asked you the question, hey, how did you come up with this? I'd love to get some more information. I want to work with you. There's some things that have changed that you may not be aware of. Um, I think of an example of doing this when I was an engineer uh, at 3M. So 3M, the plant that I worked at, we made a lot of adhesives. And we did a lot of two-part adhesive. So it was a part A and a part B, you mix them together. And a lot of the mixers that we had was one mixer and you would make part A and you'd have to clean it and then make part B. And then you have to clean it and then make part A. And then you have to clean it and then make part B. And you really had to clean it between part A and part B because if you mix part A and part B together, it solidifies. And sometimes they would glue lids to the mixers and stuff using these really powerful epoxies that they made. And it took a lot. Well, there was, uh, as an engineer, I always wondered why didn't we, why do we always build one mixer? Why not put in two mixers right next to each other? So, because every time you make a part A, you're going to also make a part B. Why not do them in two separate mixers? And I always wondered that. And one day I was talking to the vice president of our division and we were talking about a new mixer. And he said, okay, we're, we're ready for increased capacity. I want a budget for one new mixer to put in so that we can increase. And I just said, hey, do you mind if I ask you a question? And he said, sure. And that was just that simple. But do you mind if I ask you a question? Sure. And I said, you know, we make two part epoxies. What if we could do two mixers? I'm not, you know, I, if you tell me to do one, I'll do one mixer, but why not do two? And then he asked the question, he goes, well, won't that cost twice as much? And the answer was no, it only costs like 20% more, 30% more if you do two mixers, because it's the same piping. It's uh, there's a lot of shared resources around those two mixers. And his, his comment was, he goes, I never knew that. Like, I had no idea that, that that was an option. Like we could actually do that. It would really increase our capacity. And I said, not only would it increase our capacity, but it would increase our throughput, not just in terms of the, the volume of the mixer, but because we won't have to clean as much between. Uh, it, it'll be a simpler cleaning cycle. So it's, it's, 
I thought that was very well received. And thinking back to it, I thought, boy, that manager was awesome for taking that, uh, being open to that. But I also recognized that me as the employee, thinking back to it, actually approached that a really good way of asking the question, just like you said, Diana. So yeah, that's, that's, that's big. So now we recognize that a lot of that knowledge of the company is at the front line. So if you're the frontline employee, don't get frustrated with it. It's not that managers don't want to know what you have to say. Most of the time, some do, some don't, right? Some, some don't care what you have to say. That's fine. That's a whole nother, whole nother issue. But most, if you approach it the right way, I think most managers, would we all agree? Most managers would want that information. I definitely do. I always welcomed it when people came and said, Hey, we're doing something less effectively than we could be doing. Because at the end of the day, like if you're going to do it more effectively and your job is you're happier in your job, that's good for me. Plus if it's more effective, it's probably making more money for the company. That's good for us. Like all of those things are good if it's done in the right way. And I think everybody has good intentions there. That's what I think. I think regardless of what your culture is like, your approach is the biggest key there. Because I, you know, you might have, I think you're going to definitely have managers who push back on employees who come to them in, in the wrong way, in the wrong manner, and tell them that we are doing something more efficient over here. Let me tell you how you should do it. But if you can approach it the correct way, most, I think most people will be open and receptive to, to that information. Two things when, when from frontline employees, so going to managers and asking for that permission and then giving that recommendation is real powerful on the management side, you know, make sure you're asking your employees because some, sometimes the employees come in and they're like, we just have this problem and they want the managers to fix it. So as a manager in a leadership role, make sure that you're asking the questions too, or having the conversations to say, I, I hear you. I probably don't have the experience that you've got on the front line, you know, be a little vulnerable there and let them say, you know, why don't, why don't you take a look at that and come back to me, give me an example of what we can do to make that better. And then let's give it a, give it a shot, or maybe I'll ask some more questions then, but let's work with this and see what we can get out of it. Just being vulnerable as a manager and letting them know, you don't know all the answers allows them to then go out and have that permission to do that. On the other side of that, while you're learning to ask those questions, you're learning to be a better leader. You're teaching them to go out to figure out the problems like Bethany said earlier, and a lot of us have said, to fix those problems um, and come in with the solutions, which then teaches them mindfully to start growing into leadership roles themselves. Love that. The best projects I have managed as an engineer were ones where everyone else solves most of the problems. I didn't have to figure out that. I was just kind of the facilitator. I was the person in the middle. Every time, as if you're a manager, I mean, let's, let's be frank. Let's be really, really br brutal about this. Another truth bomb. Insert sound effect here. Boom. Truth. Does that sound? Was that good? No. Okay. We're not good. Crash, like explosion so oh. let's try it again please oh, okay truth, 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 truth. that was a truth bomb okay. no, I don't. No. Never mind. I don't. no okay anyway we'll get back on the, <laughs> the i think that the truth bomb is that most managers were good at the job that they had and they came in and they took this other job. And so the way you used to be good is learning all the things. 
And so you try to continue to learn all the things. And so you then you are the ones that are answering the question. So in Mary's scenario, when people come to you and ask you a question, you try to learn the thing that you need to answer the question for and then answer the question. And that is the wrong approach. Like that's where we see managers getting burned out. That's where we see managers like, I've got too many things to be able to manage. There's too much stuff here. Why does nobody else helping me with all this stuff? It's probably because you're not letting them. Yeah. 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 I think that there's an expectation that as the boss, I have to know everything. I have to have my hands on everything. I've got to understand it all. And that's just not true. That's not your job anymore. So take some pressure off yourself and trust the people that you have working for you. I think also something I wanted to add to this part is that if you are in a management or leadership role within your organization, think about how your organization solves problems, the big problems, right? Like the problems that are really like high level within the organization and who is solving those problems. Again, you might think it's your job. Um, I think it is your job ultimately to figure out solutions to those problems. That doesn't mean that you have to know all the answers to those, to those problems though. So if your whole uh, executive level team is sitting around a table and they're trying to solve all of the major issues of the organization, and then you're not talking to your frontline staff at all, that's a big mistake and you need to stop right there and you need to go talk to people who are on the floor working and help them be brought into that conversation because chances are they probably have a few different ideas floating around in their head because they're doing the work every single day. So that's my soapbox for this. <laughs> I, I love that. And sometimes internally, we'll talk about like blood flow in an organization. Do you have good blood flow up and down the organization? And that's what Bethany is talking about there. If the executive team is meeting in retreat, talking about the future of the organization and the direction of making big decisions, which you should do as part of your job, but you aren't able to leverage all of that knowledge that's out in the field, you're going to make some really bad decisions. So the question then it flips that around. So then how do you as an executive team or even as management or even upper management, kind of mid upper management, how do you go get that knowledge from frontline people? Because you can't imagine a world like Bethany just kind of push back like on what you said. I can't imagine like, okay, we're gonna do a strategic planning session. Let's bring all 500 employees into a room and let's see who's got the best ideas. Like we can't really do it that way. So how do we get people, frontline people involved in decision-making as executives? So I go back to boots on the ground. You know, you got to go out there and you've got to know your people. And then you've got to know who those people are that are getting the feedback and having the conversations with the other employees and, and bring those, those employees in. So you've got to, you've got to know your, you've got to know your people. So are you saying, Mary, like when you know your people that you can call in people for specific questions or specific topics, like, you know, who kind of your subject matter experts are? That and if there are people who are getting a lot of feedback from other employees, just like for some reason they have talked to me written on their forehead and everybody talks to them and they really have a lot of input from other employees on the floor that's probably somebody to bring into just to understand the culture and the behaviors that are going on that are going to tie into whatever is getting adjusted. Yeah. Diana. We also talk about having a culture of safety and that ability to fail. If you have a culture where it's like, Oh, you brought me this, this idea and it failed and now you're fired. No, one's going to bring forward ideas. No, one's going to help. But if, if you have this culture of, Hey, that's a good idea. Let's try it. Let's see. And being okay with success or failure, I think that helps everyone feel better about bringing topics forward. 
I love that. I think that's really important to have that psychological safety so people feel comfortable bringing up things. I think it's also very, you know, as an executive team, I think I've seen executive teams sometimes be afraid to bring things to employees because they're afraid they're going to get a no. Um, and a really easy example of this is like a team that's thinking, okay, we need to grow. So we need to sell more. So we're going to set this really high sales goal target and they don't bring it to the sales team. And like, we had a team that recently said, we're going to set this really high sales target. I'm like, have you brought this to your sales manager? Talk about whether you can hit that or not. And they said, no, we haven't. And I said, why not? And they said, well, cause I'm afraid what the sales manager is going to say. And it's like, well, wait a second. If the sales manager doesn't think they can hit it, are we not setting ourselves up for failure? Like, or if we could bring the sales manager in and say, we would like to hit this goal. Do you have a, do you have an idea of how you could hit that? Like, think about it. Like if we were, if this was the goal I set for you, give me a plan for how you would go about trying to hit that and see if you can make that realistic. Now you're starting to engage that knowledge up front with the frontline employees so that they can tell you whether they can hit it or not hit it, or maybe that they can hit it in a way that you didn't imagine. Bethany. That's really good. And I've been in that situation where it's like, a, like the executives come to you and they're like, okay, this is the, this is the goal. And we're the whole team who's like responsible for hitting that goal is like, there's no way, there's no way, but nobody's going to sit and ask us why that's not a possibility or how can we overcome that? Let's talk through that a little bit. It's like, well, this is what we need. So do your, do your best. And we're like, probably not going to, you're going to be disappointed. We'll do our best, but we'll, if we can just talk about this, that'd be great. Yeah, if you don't, if you have a goal with no ownership of the goal, it's not really a goal. It's more of a dream, right? It's not really something. So you have to have ownership around the goal at the end of the day, even if it's a stretch goal. And I'm not against stretch goals. Like I'm all in favor of that, but the team has to really sit down. If it's a stretch goal and really think about like, what's the path pathways we're going to take to get there. It might not be one pathway. It might be with contingencies and things like that of saying, okay, if this doesn't work, then this works. I think about a team we worked with recently that had a, uh, they, they had two different products that they were selling. One product had a lower profit margin. One product had a very, very high profit margin. Management, upper management knew the profit margins. Nobody on the sales team knew what the profit margins were. They just knew what they were trying to sell. And the management, upper management was setting sales goals based on just kind of where they thought it had been in the past, not really talking to the sales team. So the, the executive team shared, hey, by the way, of these two profit of these two products that we have, this one has a low profit margin. This one has a really high profit margin. And all they did was said that. And the sales team said, well, holy crap, like we could sell a lot more of the one with the higher profit margin, like a lot more of it. We just never focused on that because we never thought that we could because there was never a goal set that we could sell more. And management said, well, we've never seen you sell more. So we never tried to set that goal. It's just amazing how simple that insight was. And so then this team went and started selling it and they, they improved their product sales by like three times. It wasn't like a, it's a 300% improvement of sales of this product that they focused on where the other one, they were scratching and clawing, trying to get a few extra dollars in sales and, and almost no additional profit. Um, it's sharing that information both up and down. You know, sometimes I think when we started this, we, we talked about the frontline employees having a lot of the knowledge. It's not that the executive team's not doing anything, by the way, frontline employees. Executive team's thinking big picture strategically. How do I maneuver this organization through the market, through the, through the competitive environment, those types of things. They do see things that frontline employees don't see, but frontline employees also see things that the executive team doesn't see. So we need to have really good blood flow between those two groups where we know each other, like Mary says, which means there has to be a relationship there. 
There has to be kind of uh, interaction up and down so that we know who to bring in for different decisions. And then I think we have to communicate things and say, okay, well, could we do this? You tell us and work things up and down the org chart to see if it's possible or not. Yeah, there's there's another example of this that I think about. We work with a lot of hospitals and two of the things that that come to mind here are the decisions where sometimes I think that frontline staff get left out of the decision making is like new services to offer and then like building, building new buildings. Right. And I'm sure this I'm thinking of it in hospitals because this is a big, a big industry that we work in. But I know that this happens in other places. So I think like services so often those employees are working one-on-one with the community with patients they know the things that people are asking for that they continually have to transfer people to new locations for right so when they're considering services usually new services to offer usually that's that executive level team and they're trying to make those decisions and so if they're never connecting with the front line on those things they're not going to know really what patients are are asking for unless they just go directly and talk to the patients, which sometimes they do. But it also would help, again, it's just that ownership and being able to, to say like, what are you seeing? What are people asking about? What do you feel like we're missing that patients need, but they're not even really asking about because they don't know that they need it? those kinds of things. And then whenever they're, you know, when they're building buildings and they're talking about how do we design this building to work well for this particular service or for the patients or for this particular provider or or whatever. And again, that nurse or that provider or whomever, they're not, they're not an architect. We understand that they're not an expert in that sense, but they do understand how, what kind of flow that they need to have that building set up. And so being able to connect with people on those kinds of questions to say like, Hey, we're building this building. We think it'll be great. We want to make sure it's set up well for you. What do we need to know and consider whenever we're designing this for you guys, things like that. So I think that sometimes we forget to ask, to ask people questions on those. And and that was a specific example that, that I was thinking of. That's a great example. That's an example of what we call freedom within a framework. So it's not like you're going to your employees and saying, what would you like? And then anybody can create that, right? Because they don't have the perspective of the executive team of knowing like how much money should we spend on this building? Like what hits our budget? So the executive team is setting the framework, but then they're allowing some freedom within that framework of like, okay, we can think about how do we lay this out? We need to not just get your input. It's more than get your input. We need you to work on this with us. It's not like I'm just going to show you the drawing and say, anybody think this is good or bad? Is this good? Anybody? Nope. Okay. I gave you a chance to get input. What's that look like? But really engage the people that run it and say, help us lay this out. What's this going to look like? How does this flow going to work? Where do we want to have the patients? Uh, because people will own what they help create. We talk about that quite a bit. So we've talked about it from the frontline employees. How do you bring these ideas up? These knowledge that you have, how do you elevate that the right way? As you know, it's not, it's not accusatory. It's asking for permission. It's, it's approaching it. You know, I'm trying to help you with it. That's really good. We've talked about the middle of the organization saying your job is not to know everything as a manager. Your job actually is to help to the people below you to know those things and also communicate above you. Like you are the key of the blood flow piece. It's you engaging and not solving all the problems. It's you being visible, uh, working and knowing your, knowing your, your people so that you can, you know, we say good managers play chess, not checkers, right? So they have to know what all the different pieces do. And then a good executive team also shares context. Why am I making these decisions and draws people into those decisions so that they can fine tune those within their framework to make really good, good decisions. 
what kinds of systems though do we recommend for companies? Because that flow does not always happen naturally or organically in terms of opportunities of breaking down across the organization. Matt just did a presentation. His presentation at the uh, Missouri MGMA was around breaking down silos. You know, what are some systems that we see companies can install that help them to improve communication across those up, down, left, right, and across the org chart? Okay, so I'll take that one. So one of the things that people can do is create a safe space, psychologically safe space to bring all the things to. So create a group of, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's an ideal number. This team could probably say, use this number to this number of people in this group. And what they do is they would just come together and bring all the ideas there, just dump them, you know, it's just like a big brainstorming session. And then going out and getting the employees who are passionate about making change and who are on the front lines involved in those changes that came up in the brainstorming session and then bringing them into the room and, and having them take on projects and tasks and having them desire, get, get the desired outcomes. That's awesome. Yeah. We call that a core team, right? It's a group of cross-functional employees come together 10 to 15 ish, right? There's no, nothing magical. If you say you want to have 16 on your team, don't call me later and say like, we want to have 16. Is it okay? The answer is no, no, you can have 10 to 15. That's it. You know, it, it can work. We have, we have core teams with 20 something people on them, but it's a mixture of folks from different departments working together. I like what you said, brainstorm all the ideas so that you get them all out there so that all the ideas are heard. And then you prioritize those. And then that team starts to work together to attack those. It's a good place to kind of create a safe place where uh, those ideas can flow and interact with each other. Uh, and then they spin off what we call step teams to work on those individual things and pull things back. You don't want to work on all the ideas because you can't because it's too many ideas, but that team can then prioritize those. And it's a good systematic way to get engagement across different levels in the organization and to share that knowledge up and down and make sure there's good blood flow throughout the organization. So all right, well, let's do some, we're gonna go around the horn now and do some takeaways from the discussion today about our frontline people having a lot of knowledge and how do we make sure that the organization uses that knowledge? So what tips or insights do you have for our listeners, team? I would just piggyback on the thought that uh, with the core team there that we were talking about with the cross-functional group, if you're a manager, you're a business owner, department head, whatever, and you're like, yeah, we've done something similar to that. Nobody says anything. Nobody does anything. Nobody brings anything to the table. I'm asking the question. I think a best practice is, is first of all, like uh, make sure that you're facilitating that well. You're giving them an opportunity to be able to answer the question. Make sure that you're doing a good job trying to create that psychological safety. You're you're listening for their responses. But then I would also encourage you to do uh, one other one other thing, like act upon something, even if it wasn't the thing, even if they, they they did not hit the thing that you were hoping they would hit on yet. Do something, act upon something that they bring up just to be able to build that street cred, so to speak. And then you can work up towards maybe some of those bigger projects. But, you know, the, another truth bomb is sometimes your employees don't think that you really mean it when you ask the first question. They think it, you're just kind of pandering to them. Um, and sometimes they make you have to prove it before they'll really get into the things that you want to get into. So there you go. Great tip, Matt. Diana. I had a mentor way, way back in the day tell me the best leaders are the best communicators. And I think that applies at every single level, right? If you want to be a leader of your team and of your frontline, 
be the best communicator. If you want to be a good manager, be the best communicator. If you're going to be a good executive, you must be the best communicator. And by that, I mean, you have to learn how to, how to get to everybody. You have to learn how to ask questions. Well, you have to learn how to engage people. You have to learn how to use humility and emotional intelligence. All of those things play a factor in communication. And so I think if you're really going to do any of this well, you have to learn how to communicate and have an emphasis on communication practices. Which means you're going to have to put down all that stuff on your plate, right? If you're just covered with stuff on your plate, and you don't have time to communicate, then you're doing it wrong. All right, Diana, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Good one. Bethany. Yeah. So if you are an employee and you are saying, you know, this idea of like, my boss doesn't understand what I actually do. And you're feeling really frustrated about it. I just want to say we hear you and you're probably right. (laughs) So, so I hope that just like, that feels good. Somebody affirmed that, but don't just complain about it and complain about all the things that are not going well or the way that you think that they should be going. Make sure that to Diana's point, think about how you're communicating, advocate for your your team and for your area and bring ideas to the table, but do it humbly and think about your approach in terms of how you bring um, your ideas and potential solutions to the table. Because what could happen is you could end up being like a really big leader and a, and a great influence within your organization. But if you take, and that's, but that's only if you take the high road. And if you, and if you just allow this to frustrate you and to cause just like discontentment and anger and all of that, then you're going to flow over into this, that toxic category again. So make sure you, you use your, use your ideas for good and, and think about how you approach those situations. That's great. Yeah. Don't be toxic. It's easy to do that when you're frustrated about the thing. Remember the people that are involved first and and ask questions and make sure they, they want to hear the input and bring it up the right way. Great advice. Mary takeaways advice for the group here. Yeah, I, I just keep going back to communicating. I, I just piggyback on what's been said, you know, get out there and know the people and learn the people. And I had a, a recent leader that I spoke to and he said, I literally come in and I work from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m., which I'm not saying this is what you have to do, but he chooses to come in and work from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. and do the, all the emails and all the paper things. And then after that, he goes out and he spends time with the rest of the employees. And he makes sure that he's out there throughout the day and they all know him and they all shake hands. And there's sometimes that he's in a hurry and says hi. There's sometimes that he's got time to stop and see how people are doing. And he actually asks and he actually listens. And uh, it just creates a culture of uh, psychological safe, safe places. That's wonderful. And it, it, sometimes as a manager, you think I've got all this work I have to do and my employees are interrupting me through the day. And the mindset needs to be flipped. Like the employees are your job and the other stuff is the other stuff. So making time for that. It's funny when you're first trained that 5 a.m. to 8 a.m., Beth and I both reacted like, wow, that manager works three hours a day. That's four. That's a long time. But no, I get it. No, I was thinking at first I thought you were, I thought you meant 8 p.m. And I was like, like to 8 a.m. the next day. That's crazy. What do you mean? (laughs) 27 hour days. Normal, normal. Uh, So my takeaway is just to be like, give your employees some wins. 
Like let them use their knowledge. Not only do they have the knowledge that you need to run your company successful, but allowing them to use that knowledge is the best way to build a really strong culture. It's the best way to earn engagement from your employees. And it's the best way to be successful. And I think it's pretty cool that the world's created like that. That ultimately not only is it the best place to get knowledge is from your employees, but it's also the best way to execute that. And it makes people feel good about their jobs and the company makes more money. So that's, that's that at the end of the day. So hope this episode was useful for you. We wanted to approach this engagement side from a little bit of a different spin of the idea of knowledge and that your people are pretty darn smart. They know a lot. And if you're a manager, they might, they probably know more about their job than you do. And if they don't, you're probably doing something wrong, but there's an opportunity to do it better. So come to, now we do a lot of these episodes. We always like feedback for our more than work podcast. And so if you'd like to give us feedback on an episode or ask a question, we, we will engage you and talk with you. We are approachable. I know that you listen to us here and you think, boy, these guys are like rock stars. Like they must be, they must be approached constantly on the street and asked for autographs and stuff. And while that is very true, are. we're also really humble too. So we want you to come to us with questions and how do they do that, Diana? You can email us directly at more than work at peopleccg.com. That goes directly to us. We all see it. I can, we will all respond. I'll gather all the responses. So like you can ask any questions there. Well, that place is the most private place to ask us stuff and we can keep it all totally anonymous. You don't have to share anything. We won't share anything you don't want us to. And then the other more public places are all of our social media. You can find us at peopleccg or at peoplecentric on several different social media platforms. And we also have a website. You can always go to our website and submit an inquiry there. It's www.peoplecentric.com. All right. So all the ways to check us out, we will see you at the next episode. Thanks everybody. And thanks to our team for another great episode. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the More Than Work podcast. Join us next time. And in the meantime, lead well.